Well, good morning. Apparently not. (laughs) Have you forgotten what the Bible says? The Bible says, this is the morning the Lord has made. You shall rejoice in it. So let's try it one more time, okay? Come on. Good morning. morning. See, a little better with a little rehearsal, right? (laughs) I know you're going to have to get used to me. I'm a little bit different than what you're used to. I realize that. Um, I would like to sort of mention a little bit about my background. I am Dr. Grady McMurtry. Now, I used to be an evolutionist, but I'm much more of a, well, used to be an evolutionist than you might think. Uh, I will tell you a little bit about this. If you want to take a deep breath, feel free. It's not going to offend me at all. But um, I was born in San Francisco, California. No gasp. Okay. Uh, Now for the big one. I grew up on the campus of the University of California, Berkeley. Ooh, now I can get a little reaction. Yes. And so... You have to understand, I was an evolutionist. I was raised in a family with evolution. I was taught evolution in the California public schools, of course. And when I was not being taught evolution in the California public schools, I can assure you that's all they taught in the 1950s. Um, I spent my time in the paleontology laboratories at the University of California, Berkeley, learning about dinosaurs, fossils, evolutionary theory from PhDs when I was only in elementary school. I learned about these things so well that by the time I hit the third grade, they started barring me from one classroom to the other, and I was teaching the other children about dinosaurs, fossils, and evolutionary theory because I knew more about it than the teachers did. That's an absolutely true story, folks. And I would go on to get my science degrees in evolution, and I would go on to teach from the seventh grade to the university level. During all that time, however, I was never taught that there was a perfectly valid scientific alternative to the various theories of evolution. I was not taught with good educational technique. Good educational technique is that you are taught critical thinking. You're taught both sides of the issue and allowed to decide for yourself which one you will accept. And I was not educated. I was indoctrinated. Hello? Feel free to chime in any time, folks. It's okay. You can talk with me, I'm from out of town. Way out of town. (laughs) And so I'm here to talk with you this week about creation versus evolution because a good scientist does not seek knowledge. A good scientist seeks truth. Did you hear that? A good scientist doesn't seek knowledge, a good scientist seeks truth. And in a search for truth, at the age of 27, I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I found out truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And if you don't believe that, please turn to John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the truth. And truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. You want to have access to all the truth there is in the entire universe. All you have to do is ask him to come into your life. Hello? bigger amens next time folks hello I'm here to be both an encourager but I'm also here uh, I have to explain to you by the way I have what's called a brain stretching ministry yeah I I come into town and I stretch brains hello (laughs) now I have to talk with you about this week now tonight we're going to be talking about the creationist view of marriage I assure you it's a message unlike you have ever heard before on the subject of marriage as a matter of fact I am a full-time missionary. This year, I came back from my 59th mission trip to Russia in February. 
uh, and I came back from Brazil at the end of uh, August, and I do travel the world teaching on these things. But when I first got to Russia, after I saw what communism had done to the family in Russia, I came back, the Lord gave me this message, and since then it's become, I think, our single most important message, and I encourage you to come tonight. You're going to find out things about marriage you've never, ever knew before. I assure you of that. Now, tomorrow night we're going to be talking about simple, easy-to-understand science to prove that the Earth, the solar system, the galaxy, and the universe are, in fact, only 6,000 years old. We're going to counter the millions and billions of years that evolutionists talk about. They never existed. They do not have one single proof. After all, if you think about it, if they had one single proof it was old, we would have to agree with them, but they don't. They have five arguments to deceive you into believing it's old, but they have not one proof. Today we have over 350 scientific proofs. It's all young. Relax, we're not going to do all 350 tomorrow night, okay? <laughs> Hello? But on Tuesday night, I, I am going to ask you to come on Tuesday night. Now, I'm going to ask you to forget the, the, you know, the coupons at the restaurant on Tuesday night and come because I'm going to be talking about there's no truth to human evolution. And I'm going to be showing you how to debunk the whole thing. And I guarantee you that if you will come on Tuesday night, you're going to have more fun than you're going to have the rest of the week. Hello? I'm serious. You're going to shake my hand when you leave here and thank me for getting you here on a Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, we've saved, of course, our biggest presentation. It's about dinosaurs. It's our biggest... You know, y'all didn't get enough coffee during the break. You know, I am a doctor. I could prescribe caffeine. Hello? But we're going to talk about the evidence to prove that dinosaurs and people did live together, and even recently. The last known dinosaur sighting was about 140 years ago. Now, if you'll come on Wednesday night, you're going to learn a lot about the fact that there's the proof of people and dinosaurs living together, that evolutionists are lying when they say that there's 65, 70 million supposed years between us. Now this morning I want to talk about the foundations of all of this, the, the creation and why it should be important to you. Now again, I used to be an evolutionist, I used to teach it, believe it and so forth, um, but today I refer to myself as a recovering public school graduate. Oh, hello? And we want to talk about the truth of creation, but we, most importantly we want to talk about why it should be important to you. So why should creation versus evolution be important to you? You know, some people say, well, it's irrelevant as long as you uh, know Christ is Savior and go to heaven, and, and that's fine, that's good, no problem with that. But why should it be important to you? Well, first of all, it's important to God, hello? He starts the Bible with a scientific statement. Maybe you hadn't noticed, but uh, all scientists agree on what is called the time-space-mass continuum. Evolutionists believe it's all eternal. And they do have a God, it's called the God of random chance, hello? Oh yeah, but, but an evolutionist will be forced to agree that if one of them did have a beginning, the other two began at the same time. Now isn't it interesting that God, who is a perfect scientist, okay, that was time for an amen, folks. It's, God, who is a perfect scientist, starts the Bible with the time, space, mass continuum statement that they all three did begin at the same time 6,000 years ago. That's what you'd expect a perfect scientist to do when he writes his Bible. Hello? 
But it's more important than that. I want you to understand that the, the issue of the age of the earth is not the salvation issue. I want to state that in front of everybody. What you believe about the age of the earth is not the salvation issue. The salvation issue is your relationship with the Father through the Son. Can we agree on that? But it is critical to the gospel nonetheless. Think with me for a moment. Why should this be so important to you? Well, if you were to believe in millions and billions of years, for which there is no scientific proof, uh, why would you want to believe in millions and billions of supposed years? Well, the only reason you would want to believe in it is to believe that life and death have been going on for millions and billions of supposed years. Now, think with me. If that is true, if that is true, then death is common. There's nothing special about it. And the sin of Adam didn't cause death to come into the universe. If you believe in millions and billions of years, you negate the power of the cross. Let's take a look at how it works. You would negate Romans 5.12. You would negate 1 Corinthians 15. But why does it do that? Well, if you believed in millions and billions of years, the only reason you would want to do that is to believe that life and death have been going on for millions and billions of years. If that is true, death is common. Adam's sin didn't bring death into the universe. And if that is true, then the death of one man on a cross is meaningless. It is only when you understand the truth of a young creation that it occurred basically 6,000 years ago in six days, just as we experience today. And that it was the sin of Adam that brought death into the universe. Then and only then can you possibly understand how the death of one sinless man on a cross can save the world. Hello? And when you believe in an old earth, you negate the power of the cross. Now having started with those basic statements, I want you to think about something. Everybody in the world accepts that they either came about through a natural or a supernatural mechanism. Did you hear that? Everybody understands they came about through either a natural or a supernatural mechanism. So the evolutionist believes only in the natural, only in the existential, the rationalistic view of the world, and that there is no outside designer, creator, God, no outside influence whatsoever. But they do believe in the God of random chance. Now, just to kind of illustrate the, the God of random chance, um, how many of you have ever played just an innocent game at home like uh, Monopoly, Trivial Pursuit? Anybody here played those games? So you, you're familiar with dice, uh, not gambling, just friendly games here, right? Now, uh, the number seven is the most uh, common combination of two die. Have any of you ever seen the... Uh, well, you ever seen anybody throw with a fair pair of dice the number seven 27 straight times? Excuse me? No. no. The chance of that happening is impossible. But that's a much greater chance than the chance of uh, evolution being true even once. Hello? We can disprove evolution. We can do it logically, mathematically, biologically. Any way you choose to, we can disprove evolution as a concept. Of course, you have to understand something. There is no such thing as the theory of evolution. There are many, many theories of evolution. As a matter of fact, if you had a room with one million evolutionists in it, you would have one million and one theories of evolution present. Perhaps you need me to illustrate that. You see, all one million would agree evolution was true. No two would agree on exactly how it happened, and by the time you got through the room, the first guy would have changed his mind. <laughs> Hello? But again, why should this be important to you? Well, 
Now, I would hope that you would all say amen to this, but, but would you agree all Christians are called to share their faith in Christ with others? Amen. That was kind of weak. Let's try that again. Would you agree all Christians are called to share their faith in Christ with others? Amen. amen? But what happens? Now, please understand, sharing your faith in Christ with others is a perfectly valid way of winning others to Christ. You, you heard me say that, right? Amen. But it doesn't work for everybody. I want to sensitize you that the world outside these walls is asking good questions. And if you don't have good answers to good questions, the world outside these walls has no reason to pay any attention to you at all. Hello? And when you're trying to share your faith in Christ with others and somebody says, wait a minute, what about the dinosaurs? Wait a minute, what about those millions and billions of years they taught us in school? What about uh, that supposed proof for human evolution? What about that stuff? And what happens if you don't have good answers for good questions? Two things are going to happen. Number one, the person you are witnessing to is going to think they're right. And they're going to become more hardened in their position. They're going to be, well, maybe become impossible to reach in the future. The other thing is going to happen is you may shrink back and say, wait a minute, maybe I'm not called to evangelism. And you might stop trying altogether. And so the consequences are severe. This is why you have to educate yourself. That's why they're providing the materials to you the next four nights that you can listen, watch, learn how to answer the good questions that the world is asking. Because there are people who want good answers to good questions. And if you can give them those answers, then they will be willing to believe. That's why this is important. So it's important to God, and it's important in your witnessing for Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Mm, I still think you need more caffeine. Now, when I said that everybody believes they came about either through a natural or a supernatural mechanism, some of you may be wondering about my use of the word supernatural. The word supernatural is actually a scientific word. You may not think about it, but it really is. Please tell me, uh, if I were to say the word supersonic, what would I mean? Well, some people would say, something that goes faster than the speed of sound, correct? That's supersonic. But don't we also sometimes say it's something that goes beyond the speed of sound? And you see, the word supernatural simply means that which goes beyond nature. And evolutionists, well, they deny it, and they refuse to learn about it, and they restrict themselves from a source of knowledge. And when I was an evolutionist, that's what I did. But a good scientist always seeks truth, not knowledge, correct? And so in a search for truth, I found that there was a source of information I had not been allowed to learn about, not been allowed to, to test and so forth. And I became a Christian again when I found out that, well, Jesus is the truth. And so a good scientist does not prevent themselves from learning from a source of knowledge that's available to them. And so another thing too, uh, I'm going to make a statement. I would like everybody to say a big, loud, hearty amen after this one, please. You know, encourage me a little, will you? All thinking, all thinking is going to be done in obedience to God or in disobedience to God. Okay, I'll try it again. I said all thinking is either going to be done in obedience to God or in disobedience to God, correct? Amen. amen. And so this is why creation should be important to you. Because the only standard by which we can know what is right and wrong, what is true, is God's opinion. Hello? 
And if your opinion doesn't line up with God's opinion, then your opinion is wrong. Hello? Now let's talk about why should creation versus evolution be important to you. It's really quite simple. It's foundational. Again, I stress, without a young earth creation, there's no Christianity. It is foundational to Christianity. But let's think about it further. What you believe about creation versus evolution determines your worldview. Now, when I founded our ministry 48 years ago, I, it's called Creation Worldview Ministries for this reason. Because we are dealing with a Christian biblical worldview, doing it primarily through creation science. Now, remember that there are only three religions in the world that have a biblical worldview, Jews, Islam, and Christians. But, but, we as Christians have a Christian biblical worldview, and we want to emphasize that. Are you with me? But it's what you believe about creation or evolution that determines your worldview. Now, perhaps you're not familiar with the word worldview. What does it really mean? Let me illustrate it this way. A worldview is a lens through which you see the world. But the shape, the prescription of that lens is going to be based upon the acceptance of creation or evolution. And so if your foundation of thinking is based in the foundation of evolution, that causes your lens to have a certain prescription, a certain lens view, right? And you're going to look and say, well, abortion, euthanasia, racism, lawlessness, they're fine. But if your worldview is based upon the foundation of creation, that changes the prescription of your lens. And when you look through that lens, you're going to say abortion, euthanasia, or murder. That homosexuality, pornography, lawlessness, racism are wrong. And you're going to know why. That's why this should be so important to you. Now, with that in mind, I wonder if you would please open your owner's manuals. Some of you are kind of laughing at that, but, but have you got good eyesight? Can you see what it says right here? Right up here it says owner's manual, doesn't it? Yep. And down, down here it says unlimited warranty. There it is. Right? So if you'll open up your owner's manual, please, to Psalm 11.3. Let's see why this should be important to you. A wonderful little verse in Psalm 11.3. It says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now that verse tells me three things. It tells me that there are people called righteous. It tells me they have a foundation. But it also tells me that if that foundation is destroyed, righteous people are without hope. Is that correct? That's what it says, doesn't it? And then I'd like you to turn, if you'd like a New Testament verse, this is our foundational verse. We put this on all of our literature and so forth. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at verse 11. So 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. Now, I'm going to read it first from the Bible as is, and then we're going to take another look at it. It says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do is, I want to read that again. I'm not changing God's word, I assure you. But what I want to do is, I want to read it again, and I'm going to, I will change the wording, but only for the purposes of saying, isn't this what it really says when you think about it, okay? 
Doesn't it say, for there is no other man who can lay any other foundation than the foundation which has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Isn't that what it says in an expanded way? Now I want you to think about this. And uh, of course you may remember some other verses. He's the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone the builders rejected, correct? Colossians 1.16, he is the creator of the universe. He's the co-creator with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, but let's think about foundations and cornerstones for just a minute. This, this room is a lovely room to teach this in, really. Uh, I like it. And uh, so think with me for just a moment. Um, when you are building something and you set the foundation, um, and I want you to think about it as rectangular. Now, in this room, that should be a challenge. But I want you to think of a rectangular building, right? Now, would you agree that according to the architect, the building contractor, and the building permit people, you, you do have those in Iowa, right? Right? Would you agree that according to the architect, the builder, and the building uh, permit people, there's only one perfect place for the cornerstone, the first cornerstone, is that correct? And you set the first cornerstone, and then by angle and by distance, you set the other three corners, is that correct? Come on, folks, that is the way you do it around here, right? Okay, so let's see why this should be so important to you. Now, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone the builders rejected, correct? So let's just think. If I were to put the first cornerstone here, but instead of putting it in the perfect place, so if I put it in the perfect place and I go down, say, 150 feet and set the second corner and then over to the other two, well, everything's fine, right? Agreed? I can't hear you. Okay, I can hear you. Um, but what happens if I set the cornerstone, the first cornerstone, and I put it one millionth of an inch out of place? Just a millionth of an inch. And then I go down that wall for 150 feet, set the second cornerstone there and there. Will that cornerstone be in the right place? A little louder. No, it, it'll be a little further out of place, correct? So why should creation and putting Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone in the right place, be so important to you? Well, think with me. In science, what we do is the exact same experiment a second time, but we change one thing and one thing only. We want to know what is the influence of just that one difference. So let's take Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Let's put him here, but instead of putting him in the perfect place, we put him one millionth of an inch out of place. So far, we've done the same thing, correct? But now, I'm going to go down this wall right here for six thousand years. Am I going to be in the right place? Excuse me? No. Oh no, I'm going to be way out of place. Is that correct? You see how important it is to put the chief cornerstone in the correct place so that 6,000 years down the road you will be in the right place. That is how important this is. And I mean, think about how you build a house. Now, I have to admit, I've been in Iowa before, but I've not been, you know, in Cedar Falls and Waterloo before. Uh, I admit that, okay? But I can tell there's been a little bit of building going on around here lately. Hello? So you've all seen houses being built, is that correct? Now let's think, how do you build a house? Well, the first thing is you build the roof first. Why, why are you laughing? The first thing you do, you've all seen this, the first thing you do when you build a house is you build the roof first, right? What do you mean, no? 
you are not thinking about this in a clear, logical, linear way. When you build a house, the first thing you do is you build the roof first because that way when you put on the shingles if somebody falls off, they don't get hurt. <laughs> and then you raise the roof up and you stick the walls in underneath, right? What do you mean, no? I appeal to you. Is that not where the statement to raise the roof came from? <laughs> and once you have done that, you slide the foundation in underneath, correct? No. Come on, you're not going to buy this, are you? <laughs> No, the first thing you do when you build a house is you build the foundation first, correct? Then you put up the sticks and the bricks. You build the foundation first, and then you put up the structure. Is that correct? Well, when God wrote the Bible, he did exactly the same thing because he's a perfect builder. I want you to think about the Bible in a whole new way. You think about it, uh, Old and New Testament, 66 books. But what I want you to think about when you leave here today is this. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, that is the foundation. The rest of the Bible are the sticks and the bricks. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, that's the foundation. Everything else is structure. And this again is why creation should be so important to you. Now, again, why should it be important to you? Well, it's important to God. As a matter of fact, since you have your New Testament open, would you please turn to the Gospel of John with me for just a moment? I want to go to John chapter 5. Now, at the end of John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to the Sanhedrin. Now, who, who, what is the Sanhedrin? Technically, the word Sanhedrin means 70-sided object. But here, it refers to the 70 lay elders of the nation of Judah. They were the 70 lay elders of the nation. There were actually 71 members because the high priest also had a seat. But this refers to the 70 lay elders. Now, there were a couple of different ones. There were Herodians there and so forth. But primarily, the two biggest groups in the Sanhedrin were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus is going to be speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you have to understand what they believed. Now, the Pharisees. They believed every jot, every tittle, meaning every single letter from Genesis to what you and I would say Malachi. Um, and, and, not only did they believe every word of the Old Testament was the word of God, they also believed in a personal bodily resurrection sometime in the future. Unfortunately, the Sadducees didn't believe that. The Sadducees, they said only the Pentateuch. Only the first five books of the Old Testament, only the writings of Moses, that was God's holy word to them. They said the rest of the Old Testament was just good literature, good history, good poetry, but it wasn't God's holy word. I think you have to admit, they had two very different views, correct? And they did not believe in resurrection. And so the Pharisees believed every word of the Old Testament and in resurrection. The Sadducees said only the first five books, the Bible, and no resurrection. This is why they were called sad, you see. <laughs> Look, folks, you've got to get it when it goes by. I just, you know. <laughs> but, but in John chapter 5, starting at verse 45, please let us read this slowly. In John 5, 45, Jesus is speaking to them. He says, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Jesus is not our accuser. He doesn't accuse us of anything. As a matter of fact, he is our advocate. 
He is our lawyer in heaven. And he says, I do not accuse you of anything. But notice he talks to the Sanhedrin, to these people. What was the one thing they all agreed on? Whether you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee, they agreed. If Moses wrote it, it was God's holy word, correct? But then he says, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Both groups believe that if Moses wrote it, it was God's holy word. And then in verse 46, Jesus says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus was using an ancient form of argument, clearly understood 2,000 years ago, not very well understood today. But he was using an ancient form of argument that goes this way. An appeal to Moses is an appeal to his most famous book, which is the book of Genesis. Any appeal to the book of Genesis is an appeal to the most famous story in the book of Genesis. That is the story of creation. And what Jesus said is, if you do not believe in creation, as Moses wrote about it, happening 6,000 years ago, you have no need of me. He being the one there. And if you don't believe in creation, as I said, which is foundation to Christianity, then you have no need of Christ. And he was making that argument to the Sanhedrin. Think with me about it for a moment. What, what philosophically do creationists and evolutionists believe? Well, evolutionists say there are no laws, no rules, no roles, no standards of conduct, and no purpose. I want to ask a serious question, and I don't really mean to offend anybody, but have any of you ever noticed that more and more young people are committing suicide today? Why? They have been taught evolution, and therefore they have no purpose. And the truth of the matter is they've just figured it out. If there's no purpose to life, there's no reason to stick around. Hello? But when you understand creation, you understand that you were created, that there's a creator God who created you less than yourself, that he created you with a purpose. And because he created you, he's the only one that can define what your purpose is. Hello? Again, this is why creation versus evolution should be so important to you. And when we're dealing with creation versus evolution, we are dealing with the four most important questions in life. The four most important questions in life. Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going? And how should you behave while you're here? Hello? Yeah, where are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going, and how should you behave while you're here? The four most important questions in life. And again, creation says that there are laws, rules, roles, standards of conduct, and most assuredly, purpose. Hello? Now, I have written a great deal about purpose. I would only like to share three things with you this morning about purpose. By the way, you will want to make note of this simply because this will benefit you the rest of your life whether you remember anything else I say or not. This will help you in every endeavor of your life. Here are the three points I want to share with you this morning about purpose. Number one, no one can create anything greater than themselves. Hello? No one can create anything greater than themselves. If I could create something that knew everything I knew and could do everything I could do, would it be greater? No, at best it would be equal, correct? Number two, no one creates anything without a purpose. Think with me for a moment. If I were to give a man a log and a pen knife and he whittled a toothpick, 
He would have done it with a purpose. How many of you have ever, now come on folks, this is Iowa, right? How many of you ever gone into an antique store? Come on. You got into an antique store or a museum, you saw some tool that was used maybe here 200 years ago, and yet you still looked at it and said, what did they ever do with that? But no one creates without a purpose, and the, only the one who creates it can define what its purpose is. And therefore, when you go into that antique store or that museum, and you see this tool that you just don't, what in the world did they ever do with that? What is the truth about it? The truth of the matter is uh, somebody made it 200 years ago less than themselves. They made it with a purpose. It probably did the job very, very well. The truth is today we may do it faster or differently, but it probably did what it was designed to do very, very well. And because they made it, they're the only ones who can tell us what it was for. Is that correct? And that's the truth about that object. The same thing is true with you. There's a creator God who made you less than himself. He made you with a purpose, and I know what it is. And because he made you with that purpose, he's the only one who can define what your purpose is. Now, understand something, please. I don't know the specific purpose of any one of you specifically, but I know your general purpose. Your general purpose is to have fellowship with God, and that's why he created you. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things. When, when I became a Christian at 27, you know, I, I found out that Christianity comes with an owner's manual. That was one of the things I just loved about that, being a scientist. You know, Come on, folks, if you want to know how to fix something, you look it up in the owner's manual, right? Hello? I, lo I love that about Christianity. But another thing that I loved about Christianity was Christianity just gets gooder and gooder. <laughs> What's the matter? You don't think a guy with two doctors can say gooder and gooder? Well, I mean, what do you want? More better and more better? And if you don't believe that Christianity just gets gooder and gooder, let me explain it to you from the creation standpoint. When you come to understand that the creator God exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you come to realize, well, how much he's been wanting to talk to you and love on you and hug on you. And what happens? Well, you start to respond by, talking to him and loving on him and hugging on him. But this is where it gets gooder and gooder. You see, once you come to understand the creator God exists and you start to find out he wanted to talk with you and love you and hug on you, and you start to talk to him and love on him and hug on him back, then you find out how much more he wanted to talk to you and love on you and hug on you. And so you respond and, well, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Ain't that gooder? Oh, come on, folks, that's really gooder, isn't it? <laughs> well, again, this is just an introduction to why this should be important to you. I want to close by pointing something out to you. Everybody in the world believes what they believe by faith. I don't care whether you're an atheist, agnostic, you're a Christian, etc. Everybody believes whatever they believe by faith. Now, how can I say that with absolute authority? I want to introduce you to a principle of science. There's a principle of science called the principle of certainty. The principle of certainty. What does that principle say? It says that in order to be absolutely certain about anything, you have to know absolutely all there is to know about it. There cannot be one thing you do not know. You have to have total, complete, 100% knowledge 
But of course, the problem is no human being is capable of having total, complete, 100% knowledge about anything. Is that agreed? Oh. And so everybody must accept what they believe by faith because no one can be absolutely certain. The question becomes, which of the two views, evolution or creation, which one is more rational, reasonable, logical, based in evidence? You see, evolution is a religion, it's not science. But it is a religion that is not based in rationality. You see, evolutions do not have a logical, reasonable, evidence-based faith. But we do. And we have more than enough evidence to convict. Hello? Now the next four nights we're going to be giving you some, not all because it's impossible in a four-day meeting and so forth. That's why the materials are being made available to you. But the fact of the matter is everybody deals with uncertainty. You can't know anything completely 100%. And so we all believe by faith. But the final question believes which one is the more rational, reasonable, logical, and evidence-based faith. And that is Christianity. Well, I want to thank you for your time and allowing me to be with you this morning. Uh, Bruce, are you coming up to close us out? You know, you know, Bruce and I have known each other so long. He remembers when I had hair. <laughs> thank you, sir. So, <laughs> all right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is uh, just to get to know you, and we're grateful for the foundations you've laid. Uh, we're grateful that we can trust your word, and it's infallible, and will always guide us true. Lord, we thank you just... For this opportunity, we ask for your blessing on these next few nights. In Jesus' name, amen.